0: hello and welcome to things of interest i'm sophia france
1: and i'm serena chen
0: as you may have noticed if you are on the internet or have looked at a newspaper recently the world is kind of fucked right now there are actual literal nazis hit late that have killed people in the u.s there are just so much wild incredibly extremist bullshit going on And this episode is where we're going to try and enunciate a few of our ideas surrounding that and just more generally talk about both, like, the broad concepts behind it but the fact that I know Serena is and I'm having a bit of a one. Like, we're kind of having, like, sort of existential crises over the fact that a world which seemed... Quite stable And, like, I mean, this is also... And you'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, Serena. But, like, it's a combination of moving from a world that seems so stable into one that absolutely is not. And the fact that the timing of that has worked out really nicely with, like, us becoming adults. Like, suddenly we've both been living out of home for, like, what, six or seven years now. But it's causing a whole lot of feelings to happen for both of us. So this episode is... <laughs> the Yelling About Nazis episode. Welcome to it. I
1: guess so. I guess so. The The worst part is, like, I feel like we've been witnessing this descent into hellfire in slow motion. Like, I'm not surprised by any of this. And yet, because, like, we've seen the beginnings of this kind of alt-right culture spring up from, oh, ever since the dawn of the internet, but more prominently, I'd say, within the last five years.
0: And you can look at particular flashpoints that um, got more and often young white men involved in that cause, so things like Gamergate, things like Barack Obama Mm -hmm. being elected. What's up, America? You're like one black president and you just lose your minds, apparently. Oh, my
1: God. And I feel so, I feel so dumb right now because I feel like I've had at least five years to prepare myself for something like this situation. I feel like, I mean, ever since Trump was elected into office in November of last year, I feel like I've had all this time. I feel like I, I saw this happen before it happened. And yet I still can't believe, I don't know, it's a weird state to be in because I, on one hand, I completely believe that this is happening. Like, this has been coming for a long time. People of color have been warning everyone that Trump is dangerous, that there's a there's a rising fascist movement, and no one's listened, and here we are. So on one hand, I'm not surprised at all. But on the other hand, Nazis are walking the streets without hoods, and that's a thing that's happening. And I mean... And I'm just... Yeah. To an
0: extent, we're a little bit more excused from not expecting that this could happen. Like, this would, for realties, actually get to the point where there are people wearing swastikas in the U.S. Which, guys, my homies, you literally fought a war to stop that from happening. Like... That is the war in living memory. Like, I might have a little bit more time if you were like, well, we don't really remember the First World War. Maybe killing archdukes is the way to go. Like, I would have a little bit more sympathy for something that wasn't literally in living memory. But when there are Holocaust survivors living in your country, when, like, the predominant, like, a huge part of your Jewish population are refugees from the Second World War, to be like, I don't know, swastikas is so wild to me. And I think, like... One of the reasons, like, both of us um, as New Zealanders and me now in Australia felt a little bit more isolated from that is just simply our physical isolation. The fact that when you're in New Zealand, it's really easy to sort of think about it like you're in an LMP ad and you're just like, yeah, you know, she'll be right. (laughs) New Zealand culture, we're not that racist. I mean, as we've discussed in, like, great depth throughout this um, entire podcast series – no, we super are. So firstly, um, and we are actually quite heavily affected by overseas events. Compare that to Australia where ANZUS still exists. So ANZUS is a um, treaty. It was an agreement between Australia, New Zealand and the US, hence the term ANZUS, Um Yeah, it's a treaty, uh, which in 1951 was sort of one of the collective security agreements that sprung up around that time. So things like NATO are a collective security agreement where everyone's like, if anyone attacks one of us, we've all got your back. Realistically, it's an agreement that New Zealand was not going to contribute a lot to at any point. Um, But it's also one where New Zealand kind of stepped away from when... Um, it initiated the nuclear free zone. Whereas being in Australia, like there are firstly like treaty related closer ties to America. Secondly, like Australia, in many of its cultural ways, tries to sort of reflect the U.S. and that definitely comes out in the sort of like very right wing, notably like racist. I don't think there are many explicit Nazis in Australia yet, but oh boy, do I reckon they're coming.
1: Yeah, this is the scary thing, is that, like, I in my life, and I'm sure you in your life haven't come across, you know, in the physical space, an explicit Nazi. But seeing what has happened in America, I wouldn't be surprised if... They were lurking here too. I mean, I'm remembering as a child, like seeing um, swastikas graffitied on the side of buildings and thinking, "Huh, what a joke," kind of thing, you know? Yeah, like, like not taking it seriously. Like, is that still and, a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, just maybe two years ago, um, just around the corner from where I live, there's a there was a swastika, and it's still there. The swastika on graffitied on the side of the Footpath and it took maybe two three months for someone to paint it over and every time I walk home I can still see that swastika um, under the layer of paint that's been painted over and to think how how differently I react to it now compared to compared to when I was a kid and I saw it and I was like uh
0: the response we were kids was sort of like, okay, edgelord, calm down. Um Yeah, basically. But now it's like, oh, you might legitimately be essentially a Nazi. And like living in Australia, living in a country that has put it out to like a postal vote for citizens of Australia to determine whether I can have marriage equality or not. That's some bullshit right there. Like, I absolutely cannot guarantee my safety. Like, and that's a very real concern of mine. And, like, definitely, like, I'm white, I'm well-spoken. I've got one of those, like, upper-class accents, which means if people aren't from either Australia or New Zealand, they generally go, oh, so where in England are you from? Because classism is alive and well in both of those countries. Mm -hmm. That's something that's always in the back of my mind currently.
1: The fact that I just cannot
0: be certain of my safety. I'm sure it is for you as well.
1: Something that bothers me a lot that I think should bother everyone a lot more than it currently does is not just I mean taking focus away from the explicit racist neo Nazis that are marching with like armed and marching down the streets yelling Sick hail and blood and soil and Jesus Christ. Whatever. Um something that really worries me a lot are the white moderates Who have some sympathy towards... Or or who say shit
0: like, oh no, we need to hear both sides of the story. It's like, you know, one side is like, I'm a literal Nazi and they self-identify as Nazis. And the other side is saying, maybe don't kill black people. Like, why the fuck do you need to hear both sides about that? And um, Rebecca Shaw, who is a writer, uh, comedy writer mostly in Australia like tweeted about it and she was like, here's a list of like things I don't need to hear both sides on. One, racism, two, homophobia, three, Ross is the worst friend. <laughs> and I was like, yep. <laughs> I yep. agree with all no, of those. I'd, I'd, agree <laughs> I'd agree with that. i agree with that. Yep. <laughs> and I think like yeah. it's a very dangerous position to have and to have a family member have and not challenge it. Cause I think like that is essentially the job of people who want to be white allies is you need to you need to challenge your family members. You need to, like, stand mm-hmm. up when they say racist bullshit because otherwise it might be one of them driving that car that, like... And the woman who died, do you know off the top of your head what her name was? It was Heather... Uh, Heather Heyer? Heather Hayer. Mm. And one of the things that, like, absolutely breaks my heart is that people are going to know Heather Hayer's name. Like, I can already immediately recognise her face. And the reason that is the case, and this is to take absolutely nothing away from the tragic thing that happened and the fact that it is, it was a completely avoidable loss of life, which I am furious about. But the reason we are going to know her name and remember her and the reason that something might be done is because she is white. Mm. Which leads to a lot of complex emotions.
1: <laughs> it does. And it's like... A lot of the stuff that's bugging me a lot lately is there's uh, there's been a lot of talk about free speech rights and like you know where where do free speech rights for people end essentially? Cloudflare, as you may have heard, have revoked hosting. I think it is uh, the Daily Stormer. Was it? Daily, yeah, yeah, the Daily Stormer, and it's just like I always think it's great to have a conversation about freedom of speech, and how important that is, especially on the internet, and how no one, you know, academically, theoretically, no one should ever be able to wake up in the morning in a bad mood and erase a voice from the internet. But in the context of what's happening in the world right now, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. And a big thing that's been really grinding my gears the last few days is the concern trolling essentially by (laughs) a lot of a lot of my like close very good rational white friends and it's like like i get where you're coming from and i get what you're worried about but we're in a different time and space right now like we we are in a literally in a different reality than we were five six years ago
0: and i think it's a perfectly legitimate thing to say is like you know at its essence i think free speech is a good thing when yeah. your free speech is telling people that they should die or encouraging other people that like their lives are worth more than others' lives, like that is mm. a bad use of free speech and it should be taken away from you. And there's a very good XKCD about this, which sort of says like when you receive criticism from your free speech that isn't silencing you, that's just people saying, we've heard what you have to say and we don't care for it.
1: Yeah, and the thing that's really frustrating is that the – the alt right movement, the neo Nazi movement, they know that this is a weakness that they can exploit. They know that that they can cry out free speech, and they're going to have rational people support them. And this has it just disgusts me because it's like this is an issue that I I actually care quite deeply about, um, and it's being weaponized for something disgusting.
0: Because like realistically. While I don't want this to be legislated for in a government, I'm perfectly willing to be of the opinion that some viewpoints are worth more than others. And if your viewpoint thinks an entire race of people should die, your viewpoint is bad and you need to shut up. Like, I'm more than willing to say that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of the, uh, the tension comes from people having, like, very academic, very theoretical, rational arguments in almost a vacuum About, you know, ideally we'd have these rules and ideally we'd have these rights for everyone and ideally they'd be applied in this like beautiful, ideal way. And when it comes to the practicality of it, when it comes to real life, sometimes those ideals aren't going to be applied in the way you want them to. And sometimes those ideals are going to be applied in a way that means fucking seeing Nazis again in 2017. And that's something that I think more rationalists and, you know, you know, like people like you and I, the people of sciencey, rationally flavoured people. I think it's something that people like us need need to really understand, is that while it's all well and good for us to have academic arguments, and I fucking love having academic discussions about these things, I fucking love getting into the nitty-gritty of cause and effect and right and wrong and philosophical ethics conversations yeah but we can't ignore real life (laughs) yeah and we can't ignore what our philosophical conversations influencing the practicalities of what's happening to people so
0: one of my um part-time jobs is i work adjudicating high school debating Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I often teach the kids is that in most debates, you'll need to look at the principles and the practicalities. And if you win on the principles, that makes Mm -hmm. it easier to win on the practicalities, but that doesn't mean you win. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you can prove that your principle is right, but if there's too much harm, then, like, your principle can, like, go out the window because realistically what we're trying to do is decrease harm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And these are, like, some very basic tenets to debating, which often are not explicitly taught to school children because – I don't know why. Um, and I think about that when people are talking about, like, free speech and rights to X, Y, Z. And it's like, yeah, like, principally, you can have those rights. But we also accept that in some instances we take rights away from people. Like, there's a precedent for that in society because we put people in jail. We say, your right to free movement, your right to exist in the world, is being taken away because you killed a man. Or you committed... A minor drug crime, or
1: like apparently, apparently yeah. That's how it works. Well,
0: apparently, like no embezzling or anything gets you sent to jail, but whatever. I think maybe that's a better reason to not be allowed to move around freely. And it's like we already accept that in some instances it's okay to take rights away from a minority of the community to provide a better and safer community for the whole. Why is that a difficult concept to then apply to people who are? shouting hate speech and like i'm also of the opinion that this should be used to crack down on people who protest abortion outside hospitals because i think they mm. create a very unsafe environment for people doctors and women but like that's kind of like that's a gray area and i'm more than willing to accept that that's where i probably have a more extreme opinion but the fact that we apparently can't take the same structure of reasoning and ideas that we use to justify having prisons in like existence and apply mm-hmm. that to things like hate speech shows this incredible cognitive dissonance in the fact that, like, yeah, you know, essentially actions speak louder than words, except as is being shown time and time again, like, they absolutely, they kind of don't. Like, there was a case quite recently where a girl essentially, like, bullied her boyfriend into dying by suicide. Like, there there are some very strict laws around cyberbullying in Australia because Mm -hmm. a um, hospitality worker, I think, was bullied into and eventually died by suicide. Like, these are things that we accept. Like, we accept that words have harms. Mm -hmm. Why can we not then take that basis and say, so Nazis should shut up? Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And even if you think about, like, the response in New Zealand to the Pākehā party at the last election.
1: That gets under my skin, man. That's
0: I mean, broadly, the response was, like, that kind of
1: fucks. Like, <laughs> well, the thing that gets under my skin is that so many people that I know that I would consider friends that I, like, went to school with and grew up with, so many people 100% support that. And this is the thing that gets under my skin with the current white supremacy movement predominantly in the U.S. but let's be honest, it's going to be everywhere, is that there's a lot of people who sympathize with this. You know, they've grown up being white and in a world where they haven't really been exposed to many people of color. They've grown up in a world where maybe they hear about affirmative action and they think, well, that's dumb. I believe in machocracy kind of thing. And like, this is, I, I can see why people think this. I used to think this. I used to be very offended at the idea of affirmative action because I was young and stupid and I didn't understand that the world was bigger than just what I was seeing. And you
0: didn't realise, like, how badly you get fucked when you enter the tech workforce as a woman, to be honest. Like, yeah, and I was sort of the same. I was just like, well, I don't need anything because clearly I'm very good and surely everyone mm. will take that on face value. And now I've had my literal own PhD work mains blamed to me enough times. I'm like, you know what? Affirmative action? Yep. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's like, to some degree, I understand where these people are coming from. And I understand, like... That they're having frustrations, that it seems, you know, they came from a childhood where being white was the default, where they would see themselves on screen in magazines and books and movies, and they moved to a world where that kind of representation has diminished a little. There's a lot more talk about diversity and about other cultures and other races and ethnicities and people who look different, think different, are different to you. And I can see how that might feel threatening, but to jump from that feeling, that inconvenience, essentially, to sympathizing with white supremacists, it it gets onto my skin a lot. And it really, I guess it, it hurts me a lot. I've tried to engage in dialogue with a lot of these people privately, because I know that publicly shaming them is just gonna like put them on defensive, and to have to basically have those conversations shut down because it felt like to them that I was attacking them, their personalities rather than their beliefs and This is another thing that um I was kind of getting at last episode uh when I was talking about how it feels like political partisanship has become more entrenched with different identities. And you made a really good point in that, like, well, back then, it was all straight white men running the place, and uh, we didn't really have to think about identity. And now that it's no longer straight white men running everything, we need to start to really come to grips with our different identities. And there's no real way to separate that. But at the same time, I know that the closer a subject is, or the closer you perceive a subject to be ingrained with your identity, then the, the more susceptible we are to confirmation bias and the less we can reason and rationalize well. And this is something that I don't really have an answer for. Because what I'm trying to do when I engage in conversation with my friends who are like showing some kind of sympathy towards white supremacy, is that I'm trying to I don't want to say attack, but I'm trying to make them see that their idea might be misguided, and what what it's and what they're seeing is someone coming in and attacking their identity, not necessarily their idea. And I don't really know how to separate the two.
0: And quite likely, if it comes to something like the Pākehā party, they will see you coming in as someone who has personally benefited by, you know, alterations and how, like, we deal with things like affirmative action with regards to race Mm. in New Zealand. Uh, This is something where I really think, like, allies need to step the fuck up if they're going to be allies because, like, it is so important to have a voice that it does not – Appear to be personally benefited from the changes that we are putting forward. It is so important mm. to have male allies. Being like more women on boards is a good thing because when women say women on boards is a good thing, it's like yeah, well you're going to be on a board. Of course you think that's great.
1: Yeah. I think,
0: I think when it comes to approaching subjects close to your identity, like all you can do is to interrogate your own beliefs and why you hold those. Mm. Um, and like this is definitely something I do. Like I, still grapple with a few um issues in disability rights activism because like while Mm -hmm. i have you know chronic conditions and like i go back and forth as to whether i think that disabled is the right word for me it's still a field that is more than just me right like Mm -hmm. that's still something where i have to be constantly checking myself otherwise i'm going to say something super fucking rude to someone um And I think that's what we can all do, like, looking at our privilege as well, like, looking at myself as a white person and just being like, no, okay, hold on, why do I believe that? Why is this the case? Yeah, I think that's really key. And equally, I do that for things like um, women in science, which is the other one that, like, I sort of have a lot of knowledge on that I can talk about off the top of my head, where it's like, I am very aware that the... um, sheer quantities of women going into biological and medical science degrees are, like, way higher than that of men. Like, Mm. that's not a problem. Like, the intake of women into those science degrees is not a problem. And that is something that has changed. And women in science have had to look at that and be like, okay, that's no longer the issue we need to talk about. The issues we need to talk about are the issue of the leaky pipeline. And, hey, maybe let's do something about sexual harassment and assault in academia at some point, maybe. Um, fingers crossed <laughs> and so it's just like questioning yourself as much as you question other beliefs I think it's a very good um, process to sort of have in place
1: yeah I used to think a lot of really fucked up things like like affirmative action like what we were talking about before I used to think quotas were just the worst thing ever and I used to get really angry when um, I saw like a television ad or like a pamphlet with a super diverse, you, you know, the, mm. um, often mocked way more diverse than real life ads that you see. And I used to, I used to get annoyed at that. And then I started questioning my own beliefs. I started thinking, okay, well, I think it's stupid for there to be like a, um, Asian quota or a Maori quota for anything. And then I asked myself, are there white quotas for things? no, there aren't white quotas for things. Okay, why aren't there white quotas for things? And just by taking that those two seconds to question my beliefs more than the surface level of how I understood them to be was enough to make me realize what affirmative action really was. So I guess my question is, how do we get people to do because I know like I do that a lot and I know you do that a lot and that's awesome I'm just wondering like how do I convince people I know to do that to themselves without offending them without attacking them without making it sound like I'm calling them stupid or something or making it sound like I don't trust that they've questioned themselves a lot that's the hard part is convincing other people to do that work and it's not glamorous work It's like no one wants to question themselves.
0: Then you just ask them why they hold particular beliefs, right? Like, Mm. you know, sort of if someone says, I believe that actually Māori people are advantaged in our society, you can be like, well, why do you think that? Because, like, Mm -hmm. they're overrepresented under the poverty line in prison populations. Like, why do you think Mm. this thing? And, like, while they might not ever admit to you that they are wrong or less correct than they would have liked to be, that is something that will often plant a seed.
1: I hope so. I really do. You
0: mentioning white quotas made me think about the uh, the lawsuit filed against Harvard University for uh, enacting yes. limits on Asian Americans, which is wild. Mm. Um, and it's like, it sort of reflects the fact that there are never complaints against standardized tests that advantage white students, but as soon as it starts advantaging like another particular part of the population, like middle-class moms get up in arms. Um, yeah, it's so weird. It's just like, it's wild. It also just seems ridiculous to me because surely Harvard would want like the best people to attend Harvard that could possibly, um,
1: I have noticed, uh, more often lately than not, that a lot of these well-intentioned uh principles that fly around, like, you know, I want the best people to be attending the best schools kind of thing, a lot of these are not really what people want. Like, a prime example that's at the top of my mind at the moment is how people give a lot of, like, free market arguments for things, <laughs> and this is, you know... <laughs> You know, you know the people I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, And how we shouldn't care about things like welfare and we shouldn't have uh, government housing or whatnot because the free market will take care of everything. And people who argue for meritocracies
0: but against gender and race blinding. It's like, yeah. if you want a meritocracy, you want that.
1: Yeah. So something that I've noticed is that a lot of these seemingly well-intentioned arguments are not well-intentioned at all. In fact, they're, they're a facade for people in privileged positions wanting to maintain their privileged position. The free market one is a really interesting one because these are the same people who argue that things like Uber is a free market. When the When you actually look into it, it's not a free market at all. In fact, it's very much The opposite. Uber controls, you know, the drivers and what they can do. It's not free at all. And what they can charge and, yeah. Yeah. And these are the same people who argue that, um, that places like DNS providers like Cloudflare and Google shouldn't take, uh, the Daily Storm or off the, is it the Daily Storm or Daily Storm? I don't care. Daily Stormer, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shouldn't. shouldn't take them off the internet. But then it's like, don't you believe in the free market? Shouldn't the free market take care of this? Come on, guys. And it's another reason for us to all question the real motives and intentions and reasons behind these unspoken beliefs that we have. Because when you get down to it, you don't actually think a free market is good. You don't actually think Meritocracy is good Like these are all reasons that we've picked up to to hide our true reasons
0: no it is um it gets frustrating particularly after the um yeah. the google manifesto came out oh god <laughs> which i have not read because i do not hate myself but from what i can gather the um
1: you made the right decision
0: <laughs> the gist of it is that like women are biologically less able to code yeah. And it's like, well, if we were, Google wouldn't hire them. Like, SJWs making Google hire women. It's like, Google seems to be doing fine. Like, I th- I think Google's okay. <laughs> like, as a company, I feel like they're doing quite well. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's another one of those situations where it's like, if this wasn't real life, it would be funny. Mm. But it's also like, that's
0: absolutely an attitude that I've seen before and like I've yeah. known people who are like women are just biologically less able to do maths and it's like well oops like all of those very very good female um, mathematicians like Nalini Joshi and um, Amanda Barnard just like they fucked up somewhere clearly like <laughs> shit
1: it's <laughs> um, incredible and to like be to be an engineer saying that your voice is silence and to have your manifesto go so viral and to still complain that you're being silenced is
0: so... I was so fired rich. from Google because political correctness gone mad. It's like no, you literally sent around a 10 page manifesto to your colleagues that intentionally harassed and discriminated against some of them. Like, that's why you were fired. It was a clear breach of contract.
1: Yeah, and the thing is that like it's not even an issue of free speech here. It's an issue of you did something that caused a liability for your company. Like, you literally breached your own contract and you're complaining that you're being fired because you breached your, like, employee contract? Hmm, okay. And also, like, he's talking about, like, this conspiracy that Google and tech companies are are trying to funnel more women into coding and to try and, like, funnel more uh, diversity into places of power and it's like women engineers make up less than 20 percent of your engineering team and when you look at the uh, the c-suite it's like where where are the women so wh- like wh- what where did this made-up conspiracy come from where is your evidence that this is happening because even though on the face of it google are like we believe in diversity uh, we we want more women and people of colour in our workplace and on our engineering teams and in our C-suites. Currently, Google is being sued in a lawsuit for pay gap discrimination. And it's like, where is this evidence coming from? No, there are a lot of very good articles written both by
0: people who work at Google and people who work in computer science in the US have written more than this on it. Mm. But it's just, it's, we're... In some
1: dark days currently. What's been um what's been something nice that's happened in your life lately? Let's let's show oh, some God. nice things. I made some mac and cheese for dinner. That was pretty good. <gasps> I made mac and cheese last night as well.
0: I made it from like one of those instant craft things. Those
1: are the best though. Those are so good.
0: I think I prefer making my own cheese sauce, but I am pretty happy with this. I added capsicum and cucumbers. Because I made mm. a salad the other night and I was going to eat the salad for lunch, but instead I poured half of it into my mac and cheese. Beautiful. That's pretty good. Yeah. What's well, something good in your life right now?
1: Oh, the mac and cheese did happen
0: yesterday. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh, shit. Actually, no, I know what I mm-hmm. need to talk to you about. And Yeah. We do, we do. I reassure everyone that we do have a video games episode planned. Yes. Um, I just also really need to talk about the video games I've been playing lately. So there's mm-hmm. there's three that I've been playing lately. Um, I'll start with the one that is most like a visual novel. It's called Dream Daddy. Hmm. Uh, it's a game where you're a gay dad who dates other gay dads
1: (gasps) no i've heard of this it is so good it sounds so good
0: and like okay the best the best thing about this is that it is made so abundantly clear throughout the entirety of the game that the most important relationship you have in it is the one you have with your daughter and it was just i had so many feelings i have like cried playing this game in some of the conversations you have with your daughter amanda it's explicitly fine with you being trans, like, but also having long pink hair. Like, you can be a trans man who has long pink hair and you're a dad and nothing is ever going to question that. Um, it's so It was created by the guys at Game Grumps, and I don't really follow Game Grumps, but they've said, like, apparently some kind of racist and, like... Um, possibly some shitty transphobic things in the past, but this is such a well-written, well-designed, explicitly queer-friendly game that I am just incredibly happy every time I play it. And I'm working my way through like all of the storylines. It makes me... Oh, I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased. So that's, that's Dream Daddy.
1: That's so good.
0: Um, I've also been playing Spell which is a game where you spell things and mm-hmm. that helps you defeat monsters. So you get like 10 letters and you make words mm-hmm. out of them
1: that's that's oh. it that's the whole game <laughs> have you um have you played typing of the dead no so it's a it's a mod it's a modified arcade game um i think it's like house of the dead was this old very old arcade shooter game in which you shoot zombies oh i see it yeah it's and, congregate um, what and typing of the dead this is something that i it's a game that i used to play oh like probably 10 years ago now oh no it's not it's on steam it's okay what happens is that instead of having a gun because like at home you don't have like that arcade gun words will pop up above each zombie's head and you type out the words as fast as you can to shoot the zombies Excellent. It's basically, like a very good. typing trainer. But what's hilarious is that in the cutscenes, um, they've modified the cutscenes so that instead of holding guns, the main characters, are <laughs> they've got like little portable keyboards, and bullets shoot out of the keyboards as they're typing. Excellent. It's fantastic. Very, very good. <laughs> I,
0: I just. I quite like typing games because I'm very good and quick at typing. Mm. So it's very easy for me to suddenly be very good at them. There's like very – and like um, I guess this is something that people are very good at Twitch shooters experience every time they play a new Twitch shooter is like mm. because I'm very good at typing. When I play a typing game, there's way less of a learning curve than when I play try and play an FPS or like yeah, open up anything I haven't played for a while or that time I played
1: Undertale. <laughs> um <laughs> and how did yeah. you um how did you learn how to type fast like what was your your inaugural typing experience
0: i wrote self-insert fan fiction when i was a preteen i love it i, love it so
1: much. <laughs> I just
0: i have to own that now i think like yeah <laughs> Um, I got given a uh, when we I think it was two thousand one or two thousand and two I got given my own computer, which mm-hmm. was a Windows ninety eight and that lasted me till two thousand and eight at which point my dad realised that the screen hadn't been showing colours properly for two years so got me a laptop, <laughs> um, uh, and so I used to just like write stories on it all the time.
1: That's wonderful. I oh. learned how to touch type um, on RuneScape. <laughs> fuck you because a nerd. I'm a trash chat. I know. God. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're on RuneScape and you're talking to people, yeah. if you don't type fast enough, then you just miss out on the conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I had to type fast. God. Thanks RuneScape for teaching me how to touch type and so for teaching me about economics. <laughs> I
0: also like I also did computer science at high school, but I found I typed a lot faster if I wasn't following like the weird touch typing rules. And I mean yeah. even like now because I've played so many computer games, my hands automatically go to like was WEDs? Yeah. Yeah. Weds. Okay, that's a better way to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it works out. The other game yes. I've been playing and the one I was playing before we rang each other is West of Loathing.
1: Have you heard that
0: one. have you heard of the Kingdom of Loathing? Yes, so that's a browser-based game which is puns the game mm-hmm. um, and it's very <laughs> it's very very good and it's very very addictive and I played a lot in third and fourth year um, the group that made Kingdom of Loathing has made an actual game called West of Loathing, which is a sort of western mm. themed um, game where you have like pistols and knives and all of the pictures are very stick figure sort of aesthetic the music is fantastic like that's something i've been pleasantly surprised by because like kingdom of loathing i don't think had any music at all um and
1: there's something beautiful about simple browser-based games
0: yeah and then west of loathing has just like so i've got the review from polygon up and i'm just going to read out what they said um it takes a stock standard genre setup and then adds joke after joke until the conventions teeter and fall over like a badly balanced Jenga tower. <laughs> like, I have occasionally laughed out loud just playing this game um, because the joke has taken me so beautifully by surprise. Mm-hmm. It was just, it's fantastic. It's,
1: oh, oh it's 10 bucks. Oh, I get
0: this. You should get this. Um, the other thing is, so something that might not be super obvious um, and that's carried over from King- Kingdom of Loathing is that instead of money, they have meat. Um, mm-hmm. And meat has gotten out of the ground like it's mined. <laughs> and so you mine meat veins and it's just it's so yeah. moderately disgusting, but it absolutely owns whatever is going on. Um, and it very much like... It very much dedicates itself to just being so slightly ridiculous. <laughs> it's
1: Oh, this looks so good. <sighs> User reviews overwhelmingly positive.
0: So. Yeah, well, that's because it's there amazing. Mm. It's a very, very funny and very enjoyable and a game that's so clearly made with love like you Mm -hmm. never die you just like lose a fight and then get angry about it (laughs)
1: um,
0: it's pretty adorable like you just
1: (laughs) I love um I love the features list which includes lush hand-drawn black and white graphics oh yeah Uh, there's a mode you can use called colorblind mode uh (laughs) just in case (laughs) fantastic there's a liberal use of the Oxford comma yep. under features. Over 50 hats, which I'm very oh, excited about. Yeah, the hats are very good. Mm. Uh, disreputable saloons. Yes, Dis- I will keep saloons. Disreputable? <laughs> Dis- disreputable, apparently. Yeah. Um, and a drunk
0: horse. Um. At one point you go to... So as one of the main quests is like a necromancer you're trying to find... Um. So you go to a graveyard and you fight skeletons and then you go to a Dave yard where everyone who's buried there is called Dave.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's it. That's the joke.
1: And it's incredible. This is funny like, to me because I know like 10 Daves in my life. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: too real. Why are all We're white people real. called Andrew? <laughs> um. I tried to make the comment in one of my group chats the other day that Sophia Louise wasn't, like, the most white name. Because um, my, brother, my brother's called Harry. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of being like, my parents gave me a, like, not classically white name. And they were like, Harry for this one. Um, and my friends who are not white were just kind of like, no, Sophia is a very white name. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not Katie or Helen. Or Susan. Yeah, or Sarah. But yeah, West of Loathing is a beautiful game and you
1: should definitely play it. That's fantastic. And ruining oh, your life. Something that's happened recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to judo on Tuesday and one of the instructors came up to me and was like, we're going to grade you next next week. That's so exciting. I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm going to go for my yellow belt. Oh my god, so cool. I have to like learn the names of things and... Do them properly.
0: (laughs) So is judo one of the ones where you, like, redirect energy or is it one of the ones where you get to punch people?
1: So there's no punching, no kicking, no striking. Um, It's just, yeah, it's about throwing people, basically, and using their weight and their momentum against them. It's It's really cool. Very cool. And, um... I've been watching a bunch of action movies as of late because they're, you know, they're lovely, nice, brainless things to bask in. (laughs) And um, I was watching John Wick 2, which is the, the Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. And what's awesome is that, like, I'll be watching the fight scene and I'll recognize specific judo moves that he starts pulling out. Oh, my God. And I'm just like, I know what you did there. So that's been quite delightful. Mm. Mm. have you seen atomic blonde yet no i haven't
0: i hear it's very good charlie's theron is the james bond that she was always meant to be yes that is something i'm very keen to see i've also nearly finished my book which is quite nice um so i've been reading we talked about like maybe having a bit where we talk about what we're reading but we always end up actually talking about the topic for ages but today's topic was super (laughs) depressing yeah here we are (laughs) um It's called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a particular cell line called HeLa cells, HeLa for Henrietta Lacks, um, that's used in a lot of medical technologies and they were the first immortalised cell line that could be grown. Um, And they were isolated from the cervical cancer from the woman, Henrietta Lacks, who was a black woman, um, who was not informed of, like, the fact she was having a sample taken or what would be done with the samples or any of that. And they became the sort of first immortalised cell line in the world and are really important for medical research. And the woman who wrote this, mm-hmm. Rebecca Skloot, um, went and talked to all of Henrietta's surviving family members and asked them, you know, sort of how they felt and what they remembered. And for some of them, like, she went through the process of, like, going to Johns Hopkins, where the initial sample was taken, and looking at cells and, like, seeing... Their, um, so it was the uh, Henrietta's children. So they got to see their mother's cells for the first time, which was incredible. Like, it was absolutely wild. And, yeah, so I'm most of the way through that
1: book. Um, that sounds fascinating. Wow.
0: It is. It's, I think, a very good window and very respectfully written window into – a very important part of medical history that's often sort of mm. discarded. Like for a lot of people that we have cell samples from, particularly immortalized lines, they're either like patients. So like we are explicitly banned from saying who they're from or mm. no one I think really knows who they're from. So like the HEK lines I'm working on, they're human embryonic kidney cells. Um, they have a very neuronal like profile. So it's thought they were um, initially isolated from a chunk of the kidney that was quite heavily innervated. Like I don't know who it's from. Might be on record somewhere. I don't know. Hmm. Whereas Hila, like, it's literally in the name. And for yeah. a while they, like, lied about who they were from and referred to the woman who donated in air quotes. Um, the cells is being called Helen Lane. Um, but no, it was Henrietta Lacks. It was a black woman from, I think, Clover, Virginia. So most of the way through that. Cool. And I just read that in bed some nights. That's
1: it's just really good. cute.
0: Are you reading anything right now?
1: I, I'm reading too many articles and not enough books, mm. which is the classic problem of our age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, something really fascinating that I have been reading. And let me just, because it's so my nightstand, let me just uh, step out of my wardrobe and... Something quite interesting that I have been working very slowly through, I must admit, very slowly, is um, this paper from a couple of months ago. And <laughs> by a couple, I mean, like, April, so a yeah. while ago. And uh, it's published in Physical Review Letters. It's sciencey, and And um, it's about how... By constructing a Hamiltonian, which is like an equation for... You can think of it as an equation for the energy of a system. Mm-hmm. And by constructing that, you can distill with some mathematical magic the zeros of the Riemann zeta function. Oh, nice. Which means that if, uh, if you're successful in constructing this very specific Hamiltonian... Then you solve the Riemann hypothesis, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. But I'm very out of practice <laughs> in the physical in the physics realm. Uh, so every time, like every paragraph, I have to refer to a whole bunch of things that I've forgotten. But it's it's a good paper to read, and it's it's a good refresher on the stuff that I. Have a very expensive degree for, so <laughs> yeah.
0: it seems like physics would be one of those um, areas where you would lo- be at risk of losing your very specific knowledge quite carefully, particularly the very math mm. heavy math heavy side of physics.
1: Yeah, yeah, and the math heavy side is basically the only side I did. <laughs> <'Cause> I did <laughs> theoretical, and then I did relativity, so that's all math. Um, oh shit, that's what we need to talk about. Yeah? There's gonna be an eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> How uh oh, and I'm like so pissed off that it's going through like the middle of America. Come so on.
0: The um the August eleventh, nineteen ninety nine eclipse was the one that I mm-hmm. saw. Um You've seen an eclipse? I have seen an eclipse. Oh my
1: goodness. Um
0: so we were living in Beirut at the time and this was an eclipse where the path oh. was predominantly over Europe. Uh so we yeah. got about eighty percent totality. Oh my um, goodness. Which means I didn't see the cool like Halo around the sun. I just saw, yeah, we made a pinhole sort of camera thing with a um mm. either like a toilet paper tube or a paper towel roll. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was the day before my seventh birthday. And we sat outside or possibly on our roof. I think we sat on the roof of our apartment building
1: mm. and
0: just waited. Um, and at the bottom of the pinhole, you could see the sun. Mm -hmm. And then it was so incredibly clear, the moon sort of just, like, moving over the sun. The sun essentially, like, going away. Um, And the thing I remember the most is how very quickly it got very cold.
1: Mm.
0: Because it was summer. Yeah, well, yeah, and dark. Mm. Like, that was so weird. Like, eclipses are... I mean, I've been in one, right? Like, I don't think I can generalize mm. too much, but eclipses are really weird to be in. And yeah. you don't even think about it because you're like, yeah, logically, I know the moon's going to go in front of the sun. That's fine. And then you're like, no, mm. wait, the sun is the source of our heat and light. <laughs> Where is it gone? <laughs> um, yeah. And I, because it was summer, I was just wearing like a t shirt and shorts. And like, when we were sort of at 70% totality, so not even at the top of the eclipse, like, I was shivering. Like, I was so cold. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very excited for everyone who's going to have an opportunity to see the eclipse and like, I'm sure we'll get some beautiful footage
1: out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, seeing a partial solar eclipse while, when I was in Berkeley and we had like, it was summer as well and we had a rooftop barbecue, like a little party for the eclipse. And when it happened, all the shadows became like crescent moons, but they were crescent suns. and it was such a it was such a weird feeling that you start like again it's kind of like theoretically we know what happens and but when you experience it it's like i kind of understand how there's all these wild wild myths about dragons eating the sun and like the prophecies towards like doom and apocalypses because of eclipses because it really feels it feels so rare and so weird that mm. suddenly this like constant source of light in life disappears for about a minute. And it is really, it's really tough to describe. Like
0: mm. absolutely. Like I've never felt anything like that before since, which obviously, um, <laughs> but because it suddenly gets so dark and cold, like you just get this feeling in the pit of your stomach that something has gone wrong. Like something terrible mm. is about to happen. Um, which I mean, in America, you're not wrong, but, (laughs) uh, Uh. um, but like, space is is cool. Yeah. Space (laughs) is fantastic. Like, And it's so bizarre to like, logically know that absolutely nothing is wrong and to still Mm. have your body just be like, nope, it is the middle of the day and it is dark. The world is ending.
1: (laughs) I remember, um, seeing the moon through a telescope for the first time and, As I'm thinking, as I'm recalling this, like, I I feel just as silly and stupid (laughs) as I did when I looked through that telescope for the first time seeing the moon. Because it's like, I've read books about space since I was a little kid. I've been fascinated and I, like, know how the planets and the moons all orbit. Like, theoretically, I know this to be true all in my head. But it wasn't until I saw the moon through a telescope and saw all the craters and the shadows and how it was a ball of rock in space. It wasn't until then that I realized that before that moment, I didn't believe the moon existed. <laughs> yeah, okay. And it's, it sounds so silly because it's like, of course I believe the moon exists.
0: But, my, one, my one was Saturn. When I saw yeah. Saturn through a telescope, I was like, oh shit, that's
1: actually real. Yeah. Like they weren't, they weren't kidding around. <laughs> you know what's cheered me up a lot in the past few days?
0: Thinking about space? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I went on to Wikipedia and I read about the Voyager and Pioneer missions. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Voyager 1 and 2 and Pioneer 10 and 11 were um, four probes, very little probes, that were sent out to the outskirts of our solar system. And their mission is continuous. Their mission is to go into deep interstellar space. Where no man has don't... gone before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they don't really have a destination. We've just sent them out. And they've been sent out since the mid-70s, and they're still going. And Voyager 2 has I think has recently left the heliosphere. I might be getting the four. A bit mixed up because they were sent at different times, but I mean, they're, they've all passed Pluto, they're on the outskirts of our solar system, and very, very quietly, they're still trying to send back messages to Earth. And that's just, just an incredible thought to try and even visualize, even grasp the immensity of distance between where we are and this little thing that we've made.
0: And it must feel incredible to be one of the people who worked on or contributed to the Voyager or the Pioneer probes to think yeah. that something you made is as far away from Earth as, like, any human-created thing, like, barring some shitty radio waves that are real <laughs> bad by the time they get out there. Like,
1: mm. it's wild. <sighs> yeah. That oh. definitely makes me feel a lot better. I don't know about you, but... Yeah. Feeling a bit better about life, contemplating the vastness of space and how tiny and insignificant we are.
0: Yeah, I think you can, like, think about space so You like, cool animals. We have a puppy now. Mm. That's pretty cool. Oh.
1: Wait, did you just say you have a puppy now? Oh, yeah, I did. Mm. Tell me everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, we have a puppy. His name is Leap. He's mm-hmm. one of the types of dogs that look like little bears. Oh, um, He gets very excited. He really likes me. Um, so he's normally out the back in our yard or in my housemate's room because mm-hmm. my housemate sort of has a really huge room and it's just like, I have a puppy that lives in the other room now. Um, and he... Whenever he comes into the main house, he'll come to my room to see if I'm there, and if I'm there, he'll get very excited and he'll put his paws on me. Uh, we call him Thunder Paws sometimes, because mm-hmm. one of the first tricks he learnt was like if we put our hand down or our foot down, he'd put his paw on top of it. So cute. <laughs> He's very Christ. fluffy um he's very good he's still a puppy so he's still very little so sometimes he'll play a bit rough and he'll like give you a little Mm -hmm. nip and then as soon as Mm -hmm. he's done that he'll look at better it's just like this is fantastic (laughs) it's very good so he makes me he makes me feel better dogs are good
1: cats are good dogs are fantastic cats are fantastic Should
0: we end the episode We we should. I think think that's a pretty good summary. Like, dogs and cats, A++, episode over.
1: Fantastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, I've been Sophia France.
1: And I'm Serena Chen.
0: And you've been listening to Things of Interest. Uh, Remember to like us on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Casting Interest. You can email us, castinginterest at gmail.com. You can leave a review on iTunes if you want this episode was unusual so I really (laughs) couldn't give a shit Um, (laughs) I hope we cheered you up yeah the last part yeah I hope you appreciated this episode if you didn't necessarily enjoy it Mm. Um,
1: it's a it's a wild wild west out there and take care
0: of each other (laughs) Um, and as always stay interesting